Um, right, so um, myself and Ruth and the kids um, have been on holiday. I haven't been for a spray tan. This is just what happens. Believe it or not, I tried to stay out of the sun uh, at, like, at the peak times. Um, so like Ruth's dad is like kind of twice as brown as me because he just kind of seems to just stay out all the time. He just can't understand why we wouldn't want to take the kids, including like my uh, brother and sister-in-law's kind of like little one-year-old and um, four-year-old. He can't understand why we wouldn't want to take them to the beach with no shade in the middle of the day in Menorca when it's like 27, 28 degrees um, and everything is burning to a crisp. There is a good reason the Spanish have a siesta and shut everything down at that time and just go to bed and get out of the sun. Um, but we had this holiday, we went to Menorca, uh, saw some incredible, incredible things. Um, Haley is very impressed that there are wild tortoises uh, in Menorca, which probably means that Steve uh, is going to come home to find that Haley has booked a holiday to Menorca to some kind of tortoise sanctuary or something like that. That's kind of what normally happens with these things. Is it all used to happen? I don't think it happens as much. They once went on a Norwegian cruise because Haley wanted to see a pine martin. Um, she didn't see any, but around the same time, I happened to see one in the Lake District, so that wasn't so good. But they're just kind of a bit like a weasel. Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, but we saw lots and lots of amazing things. Um, in the lead-up to it, um, kind of everything was a bit surreal. We had to go down to Merry Hill a couple of days before we went, and it was that period at Merry Hill where they'd got all the armed police down there. I don't know if they're still there. Are they still there? No, they've gone away. But we walked into Merry Hill, and... Um, it just felt a bit weird, and we're walking with Melody, and everything was kind of just seemed weird. And being there about ten minutes, and I realised that none of the shops were playing any music. I don't know if any of the rest of you went down there at that kind of time, but none of the shops were playing any music. Everything was really quiet, and and it was almost like I don't know if you've ever been in like uh, as a kind of tourist uh, into a, a big church somewhere or a cathedral, and it's all very quiet in there. And then when you go in there. Everybody just talks like this because it's quiet. So everybody else is quiet. So in Primark, it was a little bit like going to a cathedral. Not in many ways, but a little bit. And everybody's walking around. Like, Don't shh, come and go get this. And, I, and you kind of see all the parents kind of keeping kids close. I was kind of going, no, don't go out of my sight. Don't go out of my sight. And we wandered around. It was a bit weird. And then obviously we went off to the airport and there was a big police presence there. And... Um, we travelled separately, but uh, my sister-in-law said that um, Ruben, their little one, you've probably, some of you met him, little four-year-old, looks a little bit like a four-year-old Boris Johnson. Um, I'm hoping they won't listen to the podcast now. But um, he got out of the taxi at the airport and the armed police were there. And he said, apparently, in a very happy voice, which doesn't quite go with it, he went, Ha, huh, Daddy, are those men going to shoot me? <laughs> Um, I don't know whether, what he thought that meant, but he was, they smiled back at him and he was, he was very happy to see the armed police. But we went off in this kind of, um, kind of reflecting on this whole kind of idea of people being in fear and people being worried about places. And, you know, as much as I like to say, you know, we, we don't let fear win and we don't let terrorists win and we don't let them kind of worry about how we take, go about our daily life. I was, I was a bit kind of nervous going around Mary Hill and I was kind of going back to when I used to work in the prison and you've got to be very aware of where you were and where all your exits were and that kind of thing and I started to kind of be quite aware of that and then we went away and in Menorca there is no 
terrorist threat. Um, there, was, there was nothing there to think about. There was no work. And we just all kind of chilled out and went to the beach and went to some amazing places. Waited for the tortoises to cross the road so you could drive past. Um, Ruth did all the driving. Um, we kind of did a deal that she would drive uh, on the wrong side of the road because I have to tow the caravan everywhere. And she was driving on the right-hand side of the road everywhere, apart from one day when she pulled out of a shop and was driving down the left side of the road, and then a truck came around the corner, and we very quickly moved to the right-hand side of the road. But uh, don't tell her I told you that. Um, all this stuff was going on. We had this amazing, relaxing time. And then it came to the flight back yesterday. Now... I quite like flying, and I know there's some people here who really like flying. I know Paul likes flying, um, but I get a bit nervous. I get a bit nervous at takeoff. The bit in the middle is okay, uh, and then um, the landing is kind of like my worst thing. So whenever I have a flight, when I, have a, when I go on a flight, I'm always nervous, kind of a little bit all the way through thinking, you know. You know those bits when, the, when it slows down to come down from altitude, and you think... Are we slowing down to come down or has the engine stopped working and you start to go down? It's a bit like going over a humpback bridge. You're looking at Karen, is Karen terrified of those kind of things? Yeah. All right. And those bits of turbulence you go through and kind of if you're lost in yourself a little bit, you forget you're in an aeroplane and you're going along and you bump and you can almost have a bump in the road. Oh no, actually we're at 38,000 feet. There are no speed bumps. And I, and I kind of... We'd got split up on this journey on the way back as well. So I was sat in one space and... And Noah was sat right over the other side of the plane, uh, a row in front. And Melody was two rows behind him. And then Ruth was right at the back of the plane. So we were all on our own. Noah found himself next to uh, uh, a little old lady who had the same um, Kindle as him. And um, they talked each other's ears off. You can imagine Noah sat next to some random old woman on the plane. And they just I could just see them all the way through, like chatting about stuff. And she said... When we got off, she said, he is a charming young man. Um, so, so it was a bit weird. So I'm sat on my own. I'm looking out the window, um, a bit nervous. Um, but as we fly out over Menorca, I get to look down on, get a different perspective on a lot of the places that I'd seen and I'd visited during the week. And I just realized how beautiful this place was. We were flying out um, at, kind of at sunset. And then because we were coming this way, we kind of chased the sunset all the way home. I took some photos, and Dan's got some of those just up there. As I was sat, I always seem to get sat by the wing, and then I always look at the engine just in case it's going to set on fire. Um, but um, I was taking some photos, and we were over the sea and over the islands, and the sun was setting in the distance. And as, as we began to climb, it went up through... Um, through different levels of the clouds and um, we got some of those I don't know whether the thing's playing through probably there we go so you get up above the clouds and you've got this kind of sunset right on the surface of the clouds and that kind of thing and I'm busy taking photos and, and looking out and then looking down we flew over France and it was mainly in cloud and then it opened up and there was there was kind of bits of lights and you could see kind of villages and towns and cities underneath and I started to think that even though I was nervous, even though I was nervous about flying and nervous about what would happen at the end with the landing, um, you know, I, I started to see that actually in being up there, I'd got this huge privilege to see something beautiful that I'd never see if I kept my feet on the ground. And we, we travelled all the way back and kind of kept looking out and seeing all these things and just started to thank God for 
the great things that I could see and these amazing sights and looking down and we came back in over the UK and actually as you know as kind of coincidence would have it we were kind of flying over London kind of about 20 minutes before everything happened uh, last night and I was just praying as we went across I thought this is really cool I'm not distracted by having the kids next to me I'm not distracted by Noah constantly asking me to find airplane mode on his Kindle those of you who have a Kindle doesn't need airplane mode it doesn't communicate with anything um, but I'm looking out and I started to pray over things and pray over our country and our town and I started to get a joy for doing that and and because I'd kind of experienced that and I was in a place where I was thinking, yeah, God, I'm really blessed to be up here. I wasn't quite so fearful when we came into land and we came in, it was a great landing, great pilot. And then we sat for 25 minutes on the runway because they had lost the man with the glowing sticks to take you back to where you get off. So uh, a quarter of the total flight time from Menorca to the UK, we then sent, spent sat on the tarmac at Birmingham Airport, uh, just waiting to be able to get off. And if you've been on a plane when they're still, the aircon doesn't work very well, was it? I think the hottest part of my holiday was probably the last 10 minutes in that plane full of people. But I started to turn my fear into joy. And do you know what? I'd been reading a little bit about kind of fear and, and looking at what God's saying in his word about the stuff that's going on uh, at the moment in the world. And I, I started to, to look around and I was reading uh, Matthew 5, verses 43 to 44. If we could have that up, Dan. Um, he's just playing with Malachi's sonic screwdriver in the corner there. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so... Here we go, Matthew 5, 43 to 44. We're nearly there. Got it? Excellent. Right, okay. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you've heard it said, love your neighbor hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you now I read it uh, as well I read that verse um, in, a, in a different translation if I can just find that uh, I can't even remember what the translation's called but it was in something I was reading and, and it kind of like um, it kind of expands what it says a little bit. Um, it's not a proper true translation, but um, it says this, love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you, and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. And that really challenged me as I turned my phone back on. and I turned it off airplane mode and stuff started to ping through. And like I said, the very first thing that pinged through was the BBC News app that said reports were coming in of a, a van leaving the road on London Bridge and, and going into people and knocking people down. And straight away, kind of, I think, as much as I wanted to think it was an accident, as much as I wanted to think, you know, this is, this is going to be somebody who's lost control at the wheel or, you know, somebody's terrible's happened, like the driver's had a heart attack or something. Like this. I think I knew kind of deep down straight away that this was a continuation of stuff that's going on at the moment. And then... As I'd been thinking about this, loving your enemy, 
and praying for those who persecute you, I start to really struggle with that. I start to really think, God, how do I pray? How do I pray for these people who are deciding that is the right thing? That you know, that they're, they're looking and they're saying, God, God, it's you, because you know. The, the, in the religion of Islam, that Allah, you know, is that it's the same God that that we worship, and they come from that that same tradition and the the start of the, the start of the Bible we we share together. And I, and I kind of started thinking, well, you know, how can I love someone who decides that God says they should run people over, God says they should stab people, and the, and the reports coming out late last night and this morning saying, you know. They're running and they're stabbing people and saying, this is, this is for Allah or this is for God. And I'm kind of thinking, God, God yeah, there's no way that's what you want. How am I supposed to pray and love someone who thinks that way? And then we got out through the airport eventually after we borrowed mom's suitcases and um, one of them broke on the way out and the other one got broken on the way back, she wasn't very pleased with me. So we eventually got out after we'd reported this to the airline and they were writing it down. We got out and we, we had a message from the guy who'd taken us in the taxi and uh, he, he came to pick us up again and we got in and we started talking and uh, this guy was a, a, um, is a Muslim um, and he, uh, he hadn't heard about what was going on. Obviously he was driving, he hadn't got the radio on. Uh, he hadn't heard anything about what was going on, but we started talking, uh, and I thought, I'm not going to bring it up now. You know, the, you know, the, the kids are tired and, and that kind of thing. And, but we started talking, and he started to talk about where he lived, and he, started, he was talking about flying, and he was talking about flying out to Islamabad, which is in the north of um, Pakistan, where his family lives. And um, he started talking about what a beautiful place it was, and I was chatting with him because my granddad served uh, in the north of Pakistan, which was British India, back in the day, and he, my granddad always said it was one of the most beautiful places he'd ever been to. And this guy was telling me, he was saying, yeah, his name's Sajid. He said, yeah, he said, oh, it's an amazing place. He said, I just wish that we hadn't got all these problems with terrorism and violence. He says, I wish more people could see how beautiful the place where my family comes from is. I wish people could see that you know you can go walking. He says if you go walking in the hills, you don't need to take any lunch with you. He says all the the fruit and and vegetables that are growing all around, you can just help yourself. He says, it's an absolutely beautiful place. He said, but it's spoiled, spoiled by terror. And he he started to talk about some of these kids, and he got firsthand experience. His dad, um, his dad, um, I don't, it was his uncle, I think actually, his uncle uh, is a police commissioner in Afghanistan. And dealing with all these things where they're being attacked by the Taliban and stuff like this. And he said, his uncle says, like, he says, he says, you get like 10, 11 year old boys coming and fighting and coming and attacking people. Uh, and he says, he says, do you know what? He says, they're not, he says, it's not because they're evil. He says, it's because they've been brought up and they've been told and they've been indoctrinated with a fear themselves, a fear of of the West and stuff like that. And I started to think, actually, are those the kind of people that God wants me to be praying for? You know, we know that we try and bring up, those of us who are parents, uh, we know we, we try and bring up our kids in a way that tells them what's the right thing to do and we want them to do what, 
what God calls us to do. But then he said to me, he said, he said, imagine if you'd brought up Noah, because he'd seen Noah in the back and we've been chatting on the way. He says, imagine if you'd brought up Noah and told him that the West was evil. The West had abandoned us because, you know, we'd, in, um, the British armed forces and the Americans had armed and trained, you know, the Afghanis and those in northern Pakistan to fight against the Russians years ago and train them, basically, in guerrilla warfare, the art, if you like, of terrorism. And then he said they were abandoned. And he said it created this thing where people could get in and say, do you know what, they're bad people. They're evil. We need to... We need to fight back against these people. And he said how much it breaks his heart that he sees this, these things going on. And I started to get more of an idea of how I could pray for my enemies. And you know what? Something happens in a man's mind to think that the right thing and the good thing and the best thing to do is to set off a bomb in a crowded area with a load of teenagers and their parents. Something happens. Something happens. And I've got to say that from my point of view, from, from my understanding as a Christian, that's, that's something that's of the enemy. That's something that's of Satan. Right? That something can get into someone's mind and change them so much that they choose violence and terror over love. But I know that my Bible tells me that love is stronger. I know that my Bible tells me that Christ has got the victory. But sometimes it's really hard to see that in the midst of everything that's going on. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he's using this. He's, he's kind of telling his friends, you know, use joy, use love as a form of rebellion. And this morning, I just want to challenge you that when terror comes in and terror wants to steal our peace, we need to use joy as a form of rebellion. We need to revel in the beauty of the life that we still have and not get caught up in the terror and the hate that people are putting out there in the world. Do you know what? When... Anxiety fills us up. And I, I know what that's like. And most of you know that I, I, I've suffered with anxiety you know, quite, you know, after I had a seizure in the past. And, and you know, I'm kind of living with it and I'm dealing with it. But every now and again, it comes out. But it feels sometimes like your head's full of static and full of white noise. And, and I feel this morning God wants to say to you, if, if that anxiety is coming in and it's filling up your head, just stop and breathe him in. And breathe in his joy. You know the great thing about the joy that, that God talks about? The joy of the Lord, the Bible calls it, is that it doesn't have to rely on us being happy. Right? There is a difference between happiness and joy. And joy is a, a real sure feeling in your heart that we are God's, that he created us, that he loves us. And even in the times when we're not happy, we can ask God to bring his joy. And sometimes we just need to stop and seek the joy of stillness and quiet. Breathe joy deep down into your body. Do you know what? Sometimes we talk about 
in worship and we talk about raising our hands and kind of dancing and that kind of thing in worship and we talk about showing our inside on the outside and, and that's that's amazing and that really encourages people and I think it helps us sometimes to be more free and sometimes we have to choose to do that we have to choose that joy but also I uh, there's a, there's a kind of cycle that goes on and something that I realised and something that I, I had to do when, when I was feeling really anxious and I was really struggling was force myself to smile when I was feeling stressed, when I was feeling low, right? And, and sometimes, you know, if we got CCTV in our house uh, and on those days when I was sat on my day off on the sofa and I'm feeling really low, uh, if you could see recordings of me, you would think I had lost the plot. I, I'd kind of be sitting there having a bit of a panic attack and then forcing myself to grin like the Cheshire cat, okay? <laughs> forcing myself to smile. But you know what? When you do something on the outside, it actually has an effect on the inside, if we can force ourselves to, to display the desires of our heart on the outside, it starts to transform again those feelings that we've got on the inside. If we're finding it difficult to worship, raising your hands in worship, okay, putting your hands out to receive from God, all those things, they can make a change on the inside. They can help you uh, to live in his joy. You know what? We've got a responsibility when we have joy, when we access that joy that God's got for us all to share it. And do you know what? It can be really, really hard to share joy in situations. But I don't know about your experience, but at times when there's been really sad times in, in the life of my family, so at the times when, we, we, uh, when my granddad passed away, uh, and, and more recently, a couple of years ago, when, when Nan passed away, we found that actually one of the things that was most healing for us as a family was when we remembered things and, and we remembered funny things that, that Nan had done. We remembered stories. You know, we remembered some of the great things that she'd done and we kind of were excited about that. And we remembered some of the really daft things that she'd done and we laughed about that. And we laughed about the fact that it was now safe. All of your personal possessions were now safe from having your full name written on in Nan's not particularly great handwriting with black marker pen. We used to stay at Nan's when I was a kid every Thursday night uh, and we'd go to school from there the next morning. Lo and behold, I would come down and Nan would have been through my bag getting anything that it was possible to write on with black marker pen had J.D.J. Williams written all across it. Okay? We, we laughed about the fact that we were free from being marked by Sharpie all the time. All right? But in that sad moment, we chose joy. And we shared joy with one another. And on the times when it was hitting one of us really hard, somebody would share something that, that brought a smile, that brought some laughter, that brought light into a dark situation. And do you know what? Jesus calls us to be light in the darkness. And as we go out, into the world and as we see the whole world of social media put before us and we see the terrible things that are happening and they're not just happening in this country you know and, and that's kind of one of the terrible things when you look out and you see what's actually happening in the Middle East and all around the world both to Christians and, and to, 
to, to Muslims and to people of no faith at all. There's some horrible, horrible things coming. But we're called to be light. That stuff is darkness. And we're called to be light. And we're called to bring peace. And we're called to bring love into situations. And I want to challenge you to bring some light to social media over the next couple of days. If you are on Instagram or Twitter or um, Snapchat or um, Facebook, any of those things, I just want to challenge you to bring light into that social media this week. We're not asking you to be irreverent to what's going on. and We can express our hurt and our heartbreak, but let's bring light into these situations as well. Do you know what? All this stuff that I'm saying is difficult to do. It's really difficult to do. And it might seem impossible to us, but for one thing, and today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the day that we celebrate when um, after Jesus had, uh, had gone back to heaven, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, that the people were gathered together and the Holy Spirit came. And I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 15. It says this. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these um, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, the other disciples, that is, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, as you suppose it's only nine in the morning. And he explains and the the Holy Spirit comes and it dwells on the people. And, and then we learn that, that we can have God's Holy Spirit living in us, working in our hearts. That same power that raised Christ from the grave. We have that in us. And if we only ask God to come in and to fill us up, his Holy Spirit works within us and his Holy Spirit is what enables us to love like he does, to put down hate, to pick up joy, and to be light in a world that is so full of darkness. I just want to challenge you this morning to pick that joy up, to breathe that joy in. Because today, this morning, finding joy could be the most rebellious 
and revolutionary and holy thing that we can do. We're part of a world where it seems like we can have no effect. Where it seems to us in human terms that we're pretty insignificant. It seems as a problem that we can't solve. But you know what? God and his power in us can bring light into the darkness.